everyone. This is Charlie Lofton, lead pastor at the Grove Church, and thank you for joining our podcast, Cultivate. Uh, we have been in a series over the last uh, several episodes, just kind of looking at some different Bible verses that get often misused, misunderstood, misquoted for, you know, talking about, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. God won't give me more than I can handle. Those kinds of things, just kind of these verses that kind of end up these kind of slogany, often quoted verses, but really, in fact, we don't really know what they mean because if we knew what they mean, we wouldn't use them the way that we do. We looked at some Old Testament promises that people like to claim that really don't have any particular relevance to um, to Christians, except as just kind of general principles about the goodness of God. But we don't have the same level of claim to those kinds of promises that the uh, that the Jewish people did when they were given. And so in the process of this, not only hopefully have we been kind of gaining a better understanding of individual individual verses, but we have also just kind of been growing in our ability to kind of study and understand the Bible well. I mean, the first principle that we really have come away with is a verse doesn't sit by itself. These, this is The Bible is not a collection of verses. It is several different books by many different authors, but it really more than a collection of verses, it would be a collection of ideas, really, of thoughts, of principles, these kinds of things. And what we have enumerated to be individual verses, very rarely, if you pull them completely and totally out of their context, very rarely do, do they mean the same thing. They, these verses exist as part of a larger thought of an author, of a teacher of some kind. And so it's very important to to learn that principle, to make sure that to understand really an individual verse, we need to understand kind of where it lives, the passage, the idea, the book, who who it's talking to, all of these kinds of things. Even this last passage where we were looking in Galatians and we're talking about what it means to fall from grace we learn the principle of just kind of making sure that very clear on topic passages inform what we understand that less clear metaphorical passages that aren't on that particular topic, what they say. And so I think it's important as we are, under, again, understanding these individual verses that we are growing in our ability to understand the Bible big picture. And so today we're going to be looking at a passage in Psalms and in the process of doing that, that we're not only going to be able to understand this verse and this principle better, but I think it will hopefully also give us some better ability to read and understand Psalms, Proverbs, really all of the verses, all of the books and the passages within other books that are, that are poetry. Because to be able to really interpret and understand the, the more poetic sections of the scripture is a really important principle. And so, in this verse is found in Psalm 37, and specifically verse four. And this is this is a great this is a great verse to put on an inspirational poster, uh, to cross stitch, to to put in some sort of calligraphy cursive and hang it in your bathroom. Psalm 37, verse four: Take delight in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. So you take this verse, it's kind of set out there. It's like, man, if you will just love God well, he will give you what you want. And so there seems to be kind of a conditional promise here. If you will take delight in the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart. It's not really constructed as an if-then proposition, but it's certainly the language of it is, seems to be some level of what 
um, David is getting at here. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. More than it kind of has that kind of promise feel to it. And this is the conditional part. You take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. So let's just kind of, just as we always do, let's just kind of take a little step back and make sure we get a little of the context. Make sure we understand what, what David's talking about here. Verse one, Psalm 37. Do not fret because of those who are evil or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. All right, so we got a, we've got a good context here. It's actually a fairly normal theming or context idea that you'll find in Psalms, especially of David. Why does it seem to be that bad people have good things? Bad people have good things. I don't have good things. Bad people are prospering. Evil people are prospering, and I'm not. And so he's starting off here, verse one, don't, don't fret of that. People who are evil, don't be envious of them and their lives that they have. Don't do that because who they are, what they, they, they like grass will wither and green pants, they will die away. Their, their success, their prospering is only for a short period of time. Verse three, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Okay. So verse three, it's like, he's kind of, Moving, stop focusing on what they're doing. You focus on what you're doing. You need to trust the Lord and do right. And as such, you will dwell on the land and enjoy safe pasture. And this is, you know, the, a lot of land imagery that you'll often find in the Old Testament that is not, we don't have direct parallels necessarily with uh, what God has promised us as Christians. But the idea is that if you will put your faith and trust in God and do what you're supposed to do, you will have a relatively prosperous life, whether it's like financially, personally, spiritually. You move it to kind of the New Testament context and you move away almost exclusively from anything being in a physical context. But the principle here of verse three, I think on some level we can all agree on. You, you want to have a good life, trust God and do the right things. I mean, that's just a general it's more than a biblical principle. It's a good principle of life. Even though doing bad has some short-term prosperity gains to it, in the long term, in both this life and the next, life is found by trusting God and doing good. Verse four, take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And so now we get more to kind of this, again, what seems to be this promise of if you will put your delight, put your give God your focus, he is going to give you what you want. Now, I think it is very important here that we understand, I mean, I'm not going to disagree with the phrasing of this. The phrasing of this, I think, is very clear. Take delight in the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart. If your delight is found in God only, then he will give you the things that you desire. Uh, the way that I said that, I'm hopefully maybe you just kind of think about it again. Maybe maybe you're already getting there. If my delight is found in God, He will give me the things that I am desiring. Maybe we'll we'll, we'll use the same word both times. Let your desire in your heart be the Lord, and He will give you the desire of your heart. Really, this verse and a lot of verses like it that talk about, and they seem to have this kind of if-then kind of construction with, with prayers, God answering prayers, God giving things to people. If you will do this, God will do this. If you ask anything according to God's will, he will give it to you. 
If you ask for anything in faith, it will be done for you. If you desire God, he will give you the desires of your heart. I think that it is very important here for us to understand what I believe, the more you think about it, becomes a very clear and obvious mechanism by which this happens. So let me just, let's just, let's just put out a hypothetical here. I want to be a billionaire. I want to have all of the money and power that comes with that. Like I want to be powerful. I want to have a lot of money. I want to have influence. I want to be comfortable. I want to have a lot of wealth. I want to be able to live a life of leisure. That's what I want. Oh, okay. Well then this verse says I should take my delight in the Lord. And since that's what I want, I will get. And so I am now going to put all of my focus and my heart and my energy in to taking delight in God. Now that my heart and my focus is on God and I am finding my delight there, I think we should expect that the desires of your heart will change. When we are desiring things that are very self-focused, that have a very selfish, or certainly in the case of billionaire wishing, when we have a very greed-based focused, I think it could be very easily said, you have that sort of focus, you are not taking delight in the Lord. Then the inverse of that becomes true as well. When you are finding your delight in the Lord, the selfish, greedy desires will go away. And so it's not, if I want a billion dollars, I need to take delight in the Lord. It's take your delight in the Lord and the fact that you don't have a billion dollars won't matter to you anymore. And I think this makes a lot of sense in context because the context here is about David trying to get them to shift their focus. Right now, you are focused on the things that evil people have that you do not have. They have something you wish you had and they're bad and it's not right that they have it and you think you should have it. And he says, you need to stop thinking about that altogether because that sort of life is a temporary life. Instead of focusing on things that are temporary, focus on the capital T thing or capital O1, capital G God, focus on he who is in fact not fleeting, that does not wither, but is eternal. Move your focus from a temporary, a temporal focus to an eternal focus. So I switch to an eternal focus and now I'm trusting in the Lord and I'm also doing good. I am trusting in him and I'm doing, because I trust in him, I'm doing what he's wanting me to do. I'm living life according to his values and according to his principles. And now I move beyond trust into delight. And now I'm delighting. I am finding my life in God. And when I do that, the things that I desire, I receive. But the things that I've desired have now radically changed from where I was in verse one, when I was fretting because of those who have, who are evil. And I'm envious of the things and the benefits and the luxuries that evil people seem to have. And so take delight in the Lord and he will change the desires of your heart. He will redeem the desires of your heart. 
He will, he will reshape and refocus the desires of your heart. And ultimately then he will give you these new desires. And so anytime you see one of these kind of if then constructions that have to do with prayer or God giving, it's important for you to make sure that you fully understand the if, because if this if is completely true, what will be true about the things that I ask for? If you ask for anything according to my will, it will be given to you. Um, If you have faith and believe that I will do it, he will do it. Well, if I'm asking something that God wants, I'm asking for something that God wants, then he'll do it. That's different than me asking for something that I want. And if I'm asking for something that I want, um, I'm asking for something that I want that is outside of God's values, I would not have the faith of a mustard seed that that would happen. I, I can't ask for in faith, capital F, trusting faith for something that is selfish that is outside of what God's values are. I can't ask for that in faith. I can ask for that in a stupid, naive, blind trust, but I can't ask for it in faith because I'm not putting my faith in him. I'm not trusting in God. I'm not trusting him. If I trusted him, then I would be asking for different things. Another way that Jesus says it, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Again, the if on that is really strong. If I am in him and his words are in me, ask whatever I wish. What you wish will be very different depending on if you are in fact remaining and connected to Jesus and his words are in you. There's nothing about what Jesus said, nothing about being connected to Jesus that, that, that would make anyone think that we had the freedom to ask for wealth, comfort, or power. We, we, just, we just wouldn't ask for those things because those things are not aligned with the values that Jesus has. And so I think too often we don't, we don't spend enough time dwelling on the if of some of these if-then constructions. I mean, the, the then here in Psalm 37, 4 is great. He will give you the desires of your heart. But first, take delight in the Lord. Verse 5, commit your way to the Lord. Trust him and he will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil. For those who are evil will be destroyed, but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. A little while and the wicked will be no more. Though you look for them, they will not be found. But the meek will inherit the land and enjoy peace and prosperity. We could go on for a long time, but I think, I think you're catching kind of the big picture of this. Stop putting your hope and your faith and your trust in what you see, what seems to be temporal earthly kind of physical manifestations of success, but rather put your hope and your faith and your trust in who God is, then your desires will shift and what you want will will shift. What you consider to be 
successful and prosperous will change. But while we're here, I think it's really, really important that we make sure that we understand this principle. I mean, the whole idea here is we're in Psalm 37. And in Psalm 37, um, in, in a psalm, what you have is a poem. We have a poem. We have something that is, by its very design, figurative language. And so as such, I want us to always be careful, even more so, about taking individual verses or individual phrases out of Psalms and saying, this is a very clear and compelling promise that I have from God. Well, all of this is poetic imagery. Now, I don't know what you were like at school. I was a math major. I was always into math, and I never really understood poems anyway because they didn't say what they really meant. And it's like, what, what does this make you feel? Or what do you think this illustrates? I don't know. I don't even understand what he's talking about. And it wasn't until much later till I got over just my general anxiety and frustration and, I don't know, secret loathing of English teachers. I don't know. It's like that I really began to really appreciate the power of kind of really good, really good writing, a really powerful poem, a really powerful figure of speech. And what we have in Psalms are just kind of emotions expressed and ideas expressed in power, powerful, emotional significant words. And so what we have in the psalm is, uh, uh, again, it's, it's figurative language. And so you're never going to read anything that in psalm, in a, in a psalm or Proverbs or Ecclesiastes or the early parts of Genesis, anything, you're never going to read anything that is in and of itself untrue. But we just need to stop a little bit and just do a little bit more thinking when we're reading a poem, you know, a very popular one, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Okay, well, what does it mean that the Lord is my shepherd? He's not saying that the Lord is literally a shepherd. He's not literally a shepherd and you're not literally a sheep. So to take that literally means to understand the image. That is, that is, that is a metaphor. The Lord is a shepherd. Not technically, not literally a shepherd, but in a, in a speech, speech like a metaphor, there, there are some characteristics in which God is like a shepherd. And so there are some in which we are like a sheep. I shall not want. Well, this is going to say that there's never going to be a time in your life under any circumstances where there's never going to be a time where you want something. You're never going to find yourself without something. I mean, Paul describes himself. There were many times where he did not have the things that he needed. God ultimately brought them back, but there were times in his life where he was in want. But there is a principle here in Psalm 23, 1, there's a sense in which that just like God is a shepherd and the sheep don't want for anything because the shepherd takes care of them, in that same way, in our relationship and our experience with God, we are not going to experience want in the same way that sheep won't. Well, you know, a sheep may be hungry and it may take them a second to get to the food. It doesn't mean that they don't, and they're never hungry. They're never thirsty. It's just that because of their deep trust in the shepherd, they know that they will ultimately get everything that they need. And so you just need to do a little bit of work. It would just seem really unlikely that in the middle of, psalm, of a psalm, it would be some principle like, if you are good to God, he will give you everything that you ever want. I mean, that just not only that just that, you know, is out of focus with 
pretty much everything else that the Bible says, but we always just, we kind of want to experience and understand these Psalms. Like what is the, what is the big picture idea that, that, that this poem, that this figurative language is trying to express? And so again, what we have in our Psalm, in Psalm 37, the primary one we're looking at here today, what we have here is a picture of two ways, kind of two different ideas of going through the world. You can look through the lens of what someone else has that I don't have, and you can live a life where you never get what you want because somebody else always has it or somebody else always has more. Or you can put your focus and your hope and your delight exclusively in God and everything you ever want will, 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 you'll have, but it's because you're putting your wanting in the right place. But again, this verse by itself out of context doesn't make any sense. And especially when you think about it in terms of it being a part of a larger poetic piece of literature. So I think, again, it's, I hope that, that, that this series is helping you to just not only understand these kind of individual principles and these verses and passages, but we are growing in our knowledge and understanding of the Bible and how to study it. If you have any questions about this passage or if you have any other passages you'd like to add to the mix, feel free to holler at me at charlieatthegrovechurch.org. I would love to hear from you and hear your thoughts on that. And as always, if you are in Northwest Arkansas, we would love to hear from you. We would love to meet you. We'd love to see you. You can come join us on a Sunday morning. You get all the details, everything you need to know about that at thegrovechurch.org slash connect. And if you are not local, if um, we would still love to connect with you, you can find us still at thegrovechurch.org slash connect. We are streaming our 1030 service every week, and we would love to meet you um, online any way that we can help or serve you. We'd love to. So again, feel free to check us out, thegrovechurch.org slash connect. I'm Charlie Lofton, the lead pastor there. And thanks again for joining us.